Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with Michael Dwyer, my friend and colleague. It is the 17th of the 4th. We I think this is the first show we've done on Friday now. Well, now that everything is kind of working that way. Friday for for some time. We used to do the Culture Friday, but discovered that there was no taste for culture. No, we're not a cultured people outside of yogurts. That's a lively one. Anyway, so there were a couple of things I wanted to talk about today. We're not going to talk about the Finnegal Finnefall, the full document that came out after we recorded the last episode. There's an episode of the Unsafe Space with Sarah and Keith going up today, uh, where they'll talk about it and they'll explain why they are trailblazers of the idea that FF and FG should get in bed together. So we'll leave that to them. Just, I would say one thing, Gary. I, I did have a read now. I'm delighted that they're going to sort out that problem with Israel and, and that stuff out okay, there. You know, let, let, yes, let us mention that the document does say that they will find a solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Palestinians. I knew there was a P in it. I, that's been going on for a while now, and I'm delighted that someone's going to sort that out, because it'll be a great idea. Point where you have you have written a document which says you will solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, You've lost the run of yourself. You think? And you're just like, what do people like? <laughs> ice, ice cream. Yeah, well, ice cream. end that war. We will end that war that we have no part to pay in at all and where no one gives a shit what we think. Yeah, I think that could be... I, 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 I think if that's the way they were going, again, as I, I'd like to reiterate, I'm in favour of ice cream and I think they could have taken a more pro-ice cream uh, policy approach we are, on this. We are in favour of good left-wing things but not bad things. And now here is 22 pages of listing of the good things, with no costings. Yeah, there was apparently a rather awkward moment where at the end of it, uh, one Fine Gael TD was heard to say, and who's going to fucking pay for all this? And there was this deathly hush, and everybody looked to their feet and shuffled papers and said, well, I think I'll get a coffee. It was regarded as being a bit like farting at the... You know, there's nothing, there's nothing coming out of a period in which the country has spent the entire surplus it spent the last five years putting together to go, well, what we need is everything we can buy, which means we're taking on more debt, even though we owe, oh, 218 billion. Yeah. But you know what? No, no, we said we, we no, won't we'll talk just, about We'll it. just get annoyed. There is one thing related to it I wanted to talk about, and this is a question for you, Michael. Yes? Me on Martin. Fianna Fáil, by its constitution, it's meant to have a vote on government formation. So its members are meant to get a vote on whether or not they want to get in with Fine Gael and whatever third party is coming in there. Now, Michal Martin is saying that he doesn't think it's feasible to have that vote, even a postal vote, because COVID-19 is a special circumstance and instead it will go to the party's executive and if two-thirds of them vote to um, that it doesn't need to go to the membership, it will simply be passed, which would allow Martin to get through what I think is a deeply unpopular idea mm -hmm. that you should go in with um, Fine Gael. And so I suppose my question is, why do Fine Gael members keep letting Martin fuck them? <laughs> yeah, first of all, you should understand, Mia talks about a special circumstance. It is a special circumstance. If this doesn't go through, Michal won't be Taoiseach. That's a very special circumstance indeed, and I think we should be all very serious about that. Secondly, Gary, obviously, now, a postal vote is all very well, but in circumstances like this, now, it's true that the post is working, and that you can both send and receive post, but other than that, the post is not working at all, Gary. 
no. apart from where it is working. Well, apart from the, the fact that you can send post and receive post and that that's going on. And in fact, if you're an older person now, which I think is a very good idea, well done to the post office for doing this. Your postman will now collect post for you rather than you having to find a post box to deliver it to. So well done. Oh, so the post is actually working more efficiently than it's ever done so before. Yep. Yeah. In that regard, in the deli- in that regard, in the yes. collection and delivery of post, Gary, but mm-hmm. in other every other regard in this crisis, it's not functioning. So you mean in relation to how the postal service works to ensure Michal Martin becomes Taoiseach, it's working a large deficit. Absolutely, and also of they, course they won't buy sterling for euro. So I think we should make that point also. Other than that, yeah, so I think that we need to be clear. That that's a very special circumstance. Because I mean, my my understanding of Finnefall from dealing with Finnefallers growing up, and from seeing like how the local and more national parts of Finnefall work together, was that Finnefall was a party which saw itself as being owned by the membership, and that was how it got such high levels of engagement. Yes, because people felt that the party was theirs, and then. I remember during the abortion referendum, the party voted to be pro-life and Martin overrode it. I was sort of going, okay, that's that's unusual. Yes. Not because I am, I'd be more on that side myself, but because it didn't really strike me as a thing that I thought Finnefall would have let happen. But they did. And maybe they thought it made sense, whatever, but it happened. But now, Martin is just kind of going, well, you're a problem, so you don't, you don't get a say. I would have said, having worked... Inside both organisations, I'd always assumed that Finnegan and Finnegan were basically just you know copies of each other. Maybe that Finnegan is slightly more middle class, slightly more up in its own arts, slightly less republican these days than it would have been. But actually, there are cultural differences. One of the cultural differences I I would have said was well amongst a number. One was. There's a strong sense in Fine Gael of top-down. I remember somebody saying to a friend of mine once on a, on a hot issue, he said, well, no, I'm sorry, but that has the, the, the leader has dealt with that issue. It's time to move on. I remember laughing out loud. Like the notion that somebody would say, Jack, the leader has dealt with that. No, I, maybe, I don't know, in front of a camera or something in pub, or at a press conference. But actually, in private, between friends, to say such a thing would have been regarded as genuinely laugh. And there was that sense, yeah, that the, the, the party belonged in some sense. I mean, let's not be overly naive or this or overly sentimental, but there was a sense of, uh, that they, the common and the holy character owned the party. Now, what effect this will have on the... I don't know. I mean, Martin... Is going to bring this to the national executive, and if I were on the national executive, I would be. I'd I'd reflect not simply on my relationship with Michal Martin, but because Michal Martin is very much going to be even under the definition of his own best outcome, he's going to be leader and Taoiseach for two years, then he's going to be gone. And if I wanted to have a career that lasted longer than two years in Fianna Fáil, I'd reflect. I would, I would pause and I would ponder. I don't know. I'm not in any way connected at that level nowadays, Gary, to know what the feelings might be about the likelihood of Martin being able to get this thing through. Uh, the national executive, or the art, I don't know, or is it the art corner? I don't know. Anyway, I suppose what he has a very strong sense of is if it goes to the to the party membership, he will lose. I have not. I've hardly, and I've been asking a good few, and I'm and around the country for trying to and. I can't find any support amongst common members, ordinary members, for a coalition. I talked to a few who were more positive towards it, although more were going in the Eamon O'Keeve kind of 
national government thing, which I don't think is workable, but that's where they were. My What I would expect to happen now, though, now that Martin has explicitly, basically explicitly said he's going to try and avoid the membership, yeah. is for those people who were on side to move off side, because this doesn't strike me as something that will play well. Also, it's an immense sign of weakness. I need to basically circumvent the entire constitution of the party using special provisions of the constitution because I can't get this true. Yeah. I mean, it's the sort of thing that people are like, oh, it's a strong move. And it's like, it's not. A strong move would be getting it through the party. <laughs> this is just the move of someone who's losing grasp on his power. If he had confidence in his ability to use his personality and his role as leader and his capacity to communicate the idea, if he had confidence in that, then he'd go and he'd go to the membership and he'd sell the idea. He basically, what he's saying here is he's, he has surrendered on that point. He's given up. He doesn't think there's any practical chance that that can happen. So he's going to try and get it in the back, try and get it in the back door. And maybe he will. But and you know what, Gary, at the end of it all, what difference will it make? Ultimately, if you're a Fianna Fáil core member these days, what what are your choices? If you're still in the party in your core, you're not going to go to Fine Gael. You're not going to go to the Schinner, certainly. There's nowhere much for you to go. You like, I think the likelihood is all what this will do is not so much gift anybody else with a vote, although maybe independence. They'll probably end up voting for an independent or, or maybe the growth of independence. I will say this. If... Um if Fine Gael are actually only doing this because they want an election and they suspect that they won't actually be able to form a government for some reason, they would not have been able to do this better than Martin forcing this through Fianna Fáil and then having to get those members to help him run an election. Yeah. And I mean, also, you make a good point because it's perfectly possible, it seems to me at this stage, that this could all be done and they could still fail to form a government. And if they have, Martin has burned the membership of Fianna Fáil for no reason. For nothing. He's massively damaged his relationship with the membership. Deans who, I mean, of energy levels, confidence in party, all that, they need, well, they have a, they have a choice. They, they, Social Democrats, Labour, Greens, they have to get some combo there, don't they? Now, Social Democrats might go in, Labour might go in. Rural independence might go in. Yeah, I, for some reason, they seem to be less than enthusiastic about taking on one of the independent groups. They seem to be fairly hooked on the idea of getting a group. Now, the Greens were dumb about their... I don't see anything in that uh, document for the Greens. And in fact, one of the Greens' comments was, yeah, this is just pie in the sky, it's nonsense, there's nothing. There, there's nothing hard or fast in it, so... Why should we sign up to something honest? The Greens will want, if the Greens are going to go in, they will want specific policy promises on. And you know what? In the context of what we're going through now, which is kind of Greta world, I don't think there's going to be a a great appetite uh, for the idea that in the future we're going to, life is going to be like this, but just, but less so. Uh, So it's going to be difficult. For their own to get their own voters to swallow specific green policies, but the which the Greens will want. Social Democrats and the Labour the same. They're going to want and need specific, concrete policy spending commitments, and that's going to be tricky for them. Now, promises are one thing, but specific you know numbers. We have to have that within three months, six months, whatever it is. 
it's possible that if you're the social, you can say, well, you know what? We can hang on. We did better than we thought. You can flounder around for a while. We're coming maybe September. We have an election. Uh, we don't think we've much to lose. We might have something to win. Well, you see, I think the problem they have there is that a lot of these groups got their members elected on the Sinn Féin surplus. Yeah. So another election, they could get cut down. So there is also an incentive to go in and keep this clown show on the road just for as long as you can. Well, I'm sure we'll get back to this as government formation uh, starts. But Michael, have you heard the children, the wails of the children? On the radio and on the TV, one after another. Oh God! But it's not even the screams, not, the lamentations, well, no, the I, trauma. I had, I did hear. Um, I won't name names because I, could, I can't remember any. There was uh, some child on from the Association of Irish School Children going to school and doing exams group, which is made up of around seven kids. And you and Matt, you know what those kids are. You remember those kids from school. You know, you know who you precisely, and you you listen to this guy in the radio. You thought, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know who you are. But leaving my turb, my anger, and my <laughs> unresolved issues at school behind me, they're saying, oh, you can't have the leaving cert. You can't have the leaving cert. Children are traumatized, stressed out. It's an awful time. Leaving cert. You know what? We've got to the stage now. If a quarter of what people say every year about the leaving cert was true. First of all, it should be a ga- it should be filmed and sold to the Japanese as a as a as a game show. And secondly, I'm sure the United Nations or some other such august body would have intervened by now and declared it a form of systemic systemic torture and child abuse. All these people seem to be doing is telling the children, and I can't imagine this is particularly good for the red light. Kids are stressed, yeah. Kids are worried, yes, they are. It's an exam. It's an important exam. But that's you. Know, we're built to deal with a certain amount of stress, a certain amount of worry. You, you survive it. You, this is not traumatizing. And all they do is, the kids, oh my God, they're not, they're going to just be destroyed by this because they don't want to do the living search. And I think Joe McHugh, so far, actually, as Minister for Ed, has done pretty smack up, bang up job. Uh, rolled back. We won't have a living search. And what will happen is teachers will predict the score you're given. And that'll be the score you'll just get in the leaving, sir. To which I can say, oh my God, <laughs> the legal profession. Can you imagine? They, at the window, face pressed against it, salivating. <laughs> okay. The, f- the lawsuits. The first the thing. The criminal damage. The teacher's houses being set on fire. The f- It'll be incredible. The first thing to say is that there is another opportunity, of course, which is to say that we won't have a leaving cert at all this year and wait till next year. And that's been genuinely seriously proposed by someone, which means, first of all, you'll have a a year of universities having nobody, which the universities will love. They'll love that. A year of no fees, no well, students, that could, yeah. except the foreigners. Give universities the time to really focus on those uh, struggling students that they already have. Uh, which I'm sure they would welcome the the break all they have to teach a few foreigners I suppose and not have any money or any income uh, at all for a year which well they're far too much in the first place then we would have to have double classes for you'd have double double leaving cert classes next year some some schools would be able to manage to find the space for that and they'd manage to find the teachers but a lot of schools just simply wouldn't either have the teachers nor the classrooms to do it you'd then have double classes going off to university um 
you know what? If if that's the problem, I think we just abandon the thing at all and just do what the other places do. You just sign up for whatever course you want to do, and if you can get into the class, you just no. But but can you you you're saying yeah? What picture the scene? Picture the scene. Many Irish teachers live in the same town as the school which in which they teach. <laughs> I mean. You don't have to be Nostradamus. The outcomes are going to be less than optimal. You will see a systematic inflation of grades and kickback against any teacher who doesn't. And it won't even help the students because it'll be across the board. Well, that's, but you see, there you see, there you, that's the problem. You see, the problem is it sh- it'll probably be across the board. Now, we know in England when they did they, they did a study on this that the grades fifty one percent of teachers significantly at least by one full whole grade uh, overestimated the result of their students. But Gary, imagine you are so unlucky as to have a teacher who is honest, accurate, and persnickety, and actually gave what they believed was a and gave an accurate prediction. They've been in the business for 30 years. They've kind of got it down. They know who's going to get an A1, an A2, A3, so on. And they're pretty good at the predictions. And they actually do it right. Now, then we throw into the the, the fact that we that schools compete. But this is particularly true. You've got private schools. Now, you telling me that the private schools aren't going to make sure that when you open the Sunday Times schools uh, guide next year for results of going to college, that they're going to make sure that their students aren't bloody well in it. This is their business. You can't have any, you can't have any kind of consistency across the board. The interesting thing here is that if you have a teacher who is accurate and gives as is solid and honest, you'll probably suffer. Because most teachers, as we know, as you said, from the research in England, and there's been other bits of research, tend to overestimate students' abilities to actually do exams. Um, Also, you'll have students who are just disliked by teachers or are not highly thought of who could have pulled it together for the exams who'll suffer. And it would largely be meaningless. Okay. But it's also a way to avoid the largest single exam you'll ever take in your life, so... You know, I can absolutely, I can respect the hustle. I think you should also remember, I take into account one student you slightly advert to, to there, because I was that student, the poor student who diligently does absolutely no work for two, for two years, doesn't study, doesn't do his homework, but has a good grip on how to, has good memory, and has a good grip on how to pass an exam. Now, that poor student is going to be severely discriminated against under this kind of system because people will be actually estimating his result on the basis not of his capacity to sit an exam, but on the amount of work he's done. And that would just be wrong, Gary. That would be hmm. very wrong. You would have suffered and I would have benefited under this system. Yeah. Because you would have been seen as the person who did no work and my teachers didn't predict I'd show up drunk to an exam. So, like... <laughs> They didn't predict that, no? Didn't see that one coming. Didn't see that. Well, there you see, that just goes to show many te- teachers can't, can't predict the future in the same way. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I am genuine. 
not genuinely at all, amazed that, that that could happen. Now, the other thing is as well, okay, we know, we now have a situation, okay, there's bribery going on, there's threats going on, there's moral confusion, there's teachers who've packed their bags and said, fuck the travel restrictions. There's just the innate bias of having a relationship with the people you're impacting on the life of. And then you could, it, it's, oh, it's just, the, it goes on and on. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you had to referee or be an arbiter in a situation where you had one set or the people were, you knew or you were friendly with? Well, I, a lot of people out there who, if you're in, say, in team sports, know that very often refereeing your own team, you end up making a conscious decision almost to be harder on them so you're, you are seen to be perceived to be fair. Mm. So you may be thinking, oh, maybe I'm being too easy because I like him and I don't like him and whatever. But also, there is an appeals system, Gary. There's a, there is a system where you can appeal your results. If this is a subjective opinion, predictive, how the hell are you going to appeal it? Well, you see, what they'll do is they'll bring them in into a lineup and they'll judge based on your carriage and your sense of dress. And perhaps a short conversation. Mox. Anybody I know who ever did well in their leaving, seriously, you always do better in the exam than you do in the box. You've got to base this on Christmas tests. But, oh my God, the children are traumatized. They're absolutely traumatized. I wish people would learn what the meaning of the word traumatized was, by the way. But there you go. That's just a little bit of me. Every every year, people who have had bad situations happen to them over the year have to either take the leaving cert or defer because it's the only workable system. Also, I can't imagine teachers want to do this. I oh God, no! That's I mean, ultimately, I mean, if you if 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 this 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 mad notion did get a grip, the likelihood the teachers will be willing to do this is less than zero. They are not going to put themselves in because what are they going? It could even be, I mean, personally and privately liable to lawsuits in this case. It was an act of malice that my my Johnny or my Janie didn't get their A1, which they needed to do medicine. I mean, God, no. Also, by the way, yes, the leaving search is an important exam. The world is full of people who didn't do a great leaving cert and then went on. And, and even in the, the academic world, came back and did another leaving cert two years later or went and did the matures. You know, this making the leaving out into being the precise people who are constantly talking about how much they are worried about the mental health of their, their of students are the same people who create this sense that this is a once-in-a-lifetime epoch-making final decision that you, you know... <clears throat> I the guy who was professor of Greek in in Cork used to teach Greek and Roman civ when I was in Manila, and he did he he flopped out of school. I remember him saying to me, he said, "Many people are just you're not interested. You're bored by school. You're not engaged. It's not your thing." He said he wasn't interested in reading books or until he turned twenty six, and suddenly something when he's twenty six he started to get curious. A few years later, he got himself a PhD in Greek, and he was off in the university system. And that's just one. I mean, there are millions of them. So, I mean, we'll, we'll get back to this. But there is just something I wanted to, to close up on, because it's it's um, it's just a fine little thing. 
And it's this. Simon Coveney has announced that Ireland, after Donald Trump said that there would be a little bit of an inquiry into WHO funding and um, that the Americans might freeze all of their payments. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simon announced that we would be increasing our payments to the WHO to 9.5 million. We would be quadrupling it. Quadrupling. I think, he enjo- they, I, I think they're enjoying saying quadrupling. A number of people saying, saying that. I think they like it. Now, has and Trump he was actually personally thanked by the um, by Dr. Thedros, the Director General of the WHO. Former member of the Ethiopian Derg. Mm. Responsible for between 1.2 and 2 million deaths in Ethiopia. So, nice people. Not him personally, but the, shall we say, the organisation is held collectively responsible. Now, has has Trump actually definitively said that they're going to defund? Well, what he said is he's stopped the fund. So it's been reported as if he pulled all funding for the organization. What he's actually said is that he is stopping funding for 60 to 90 days as his administration um, looks at the WHO's handling of the coronavirus outbreak. And that uh, basically, I think his exact quote was, while a review is conducted to assess the WHO, role in severely mismanaging and covering up the spread of the COVID-19 outbreak. So, so yeah, it's not, it's not a total pulling of funds from the WHO, but from the language being used, I think we could say that America is deeply unhappy, which considering that America is the largest single contributor to the WHO, by a substantial amount, the WHO is in a bit of trouble considering that when you look at the other countries that give it large amounts of money, like uh, the UK and Japan, they're also not terribly happy about this. <laughs> but the Japanese the Japanese are famously diff- you know, diplomatic in the way they uh, talk about things. <laughs> they, have, they have been less than dip- unusually frank in their description of the, how they see the Chinese role in this. The Deputy Prime Minister of Japan saying it should be called the Chinese Health Authority. <laughs> and he would tell them they should let Taiwan in, but the Chinese would tell them to sit down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, that's not very Japan-like. But question, okay, here's a thought experiment for you, Gary. Imagine the orange guy had not said this, but rather the Obama dude had said this. Would Ireland the next day have announced a quadrupling of our funding to the WHO. Is this because we believe WHO is such a fantastic and wonderful and necessary organization? Or is it because we want to say, look, we're not one of your Trumpy types. We're good, decent people. I think a little bit of this is actually just Fine Gael and the fact it really believes in international institutions. And Donald Trump has been blamed quite loudly and people are saying it's disgraceful that Donald Trump is doing these things. The WHO has debased itself for decades. So if international institutions are actually important, how is it Donald Trump's fault that after the WHO destroys all its credibility, he points out that its credibility is being destroyed? Surely we should have intervened earlier. Yes, I was talking to people about this yesterday and I have. 
whether Donald what Donald thinks about these, I I care not that much. But their argument was that in a time of global crisis, pandemic, desperate need for global leadership, expert advice, and coordination. One guy said to me, "How? What's? Who's? Who else is going to coordinate two hundred different health systems and states?" Is Trump going to do it? I don't think so. Well, Gary, I haven't seen any evidence that there is global coordination going on our organisation. Every country has taken their own response to it. And if if you're going to go and, again, do a counterfactual and say, if WHO had not been involved in this from the beginning. I mean, I, 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 I've been trying to put this together as to... There's been a lot of stuff in the WHO and, and COVID-19 recently. And the problem I have is this, and I think the problem with the WHO is this. If you try and work out what would likely have happened if the WHO had not existed, the only changes I could see happening are that things would have gone substantially better. People... There would have been stronger containment. There would have been earlier movement on things particularly because Taiwan would have been a leader of that because it would have been one of the first countries and was one of the first countries to uh, to pick up information about COVID-19. People were willing to accept what the Chinese were saying because WHO came out and said, yeah, that's what was happening. I can't remember. The, it, was it? We were still talking in mid-January where there were officials in the WHO were still talking, if I remember rightly. Do you remember there was the... There was an official tweet which went out that they were still on, still unsure at, at at best unsure about about human human to human transmissibility of the virus. Now the Chinese knew by December that this was going on. By mid December, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly when they would know. By mid December, they would have known that something transmissible was going through the population. And that it wasn't quite like anything they'd seen before, but was similar to SARS. And there were Chinese doctors who were very concerned about it, but shall we say they're, they're, they were managed by China. Oh yeah, managed. Discreetly and with uh, care. Yeah. I mean, some of them have turned up afterwards. Some of them. What advice? What are, what are the principal pieces of advice that... So, okay, first of all, the don't worry, it's not, uh, it's not human, it's, not, it's uh, not transmissible. Second thing, they were very slow to declare it even a situation of grave public health concern. No, they spoke, they spoke against travel restrictions after the Chinese delegates at one of their meetings pushed back against it. They sent an independent research team to China who spoke incredibly highly of the Chinese state. Pretty much everything they did reinforced the idea that China was on top of this, that it wasn't an issue, that there wasn't human-to-human transmission, and it just looks like it slowed everything down, largely because the Chinese did think they could contain it and wanted to manage the PR of it. From the beginning, one of the, the, the central font for the opinion regarding the efficacy otherwise of the use of masks was the WHO, and until very recently, that advice was still being repeated in Ireland by officials here because this was WHO advice. Well, we've said that we won't uh, we won't criticise the WHO and we won't break with them. But weirdly enough, we have some travel restrictions in play. 
which the WHO says are pointless. So even we're not following their recommendations because they're bad and they're obviously bad. I think anybody who's been paying attention to the United Nations or the WHO for the last little while would be aware that we are taught there are issues, serious issues of competence, of honesty, ethical practice, corruption. So people are saying to me yesterday, okay, yeah, fine. There are issues regarding competence and ethics and morality and honesty. But, you know, we need somebody to run this global response team. So naturally, you want to get an unethical, incompetent, corrupt organisation to do it. Who, who else would you want? Why else would you? I mean, they, they've gone beyond what I've said before. They're now no longer just bad. They're also dangerous. And what seems to be the case in this particular debate is a lot of people out there who don't seem to be able to keep capable of taking two ideas at the same time. Trump, bad. WHO, bad. You know, it's it it's all oh, it's it's this bloody football fan approach to this issue again, where you pick a team and that's my team. I'm an I'm not on Trump's team, therefore I'm on WHO's team. You don't have to be on the team. I wouldn't mind this so much if it made some level of political sense. Like there was some element of you know we've increased our prestige or we've done something. All we've gotten from this is the Director General of the WHO sending out a tweet that Simon Coveney can retweet, basically patting us on the head and saying, thanks, lads. But there's no there's no political gain to this. The WHO's reputation is in the shitter. I mean, if it, if it had a better reputation, yeah, there might be a point to this, but it doesn't. Its reputation globally, from what I've seen from African reporting, from Asian reporting, from uh, Latin American reporting, is in tatters. I've never seen an organization junk itself so totally. And it's simply not doing the things that people say that we have that it has to do. That's why we have to support it. And we, we, you know, it's we not doing and, those things. Ugh, anyway. We come out and go, we, you know, we, we need to do this and we quintuple it. And then people go, but... Why not just get China to do it? Now, before we leave this, and we maybe come back to it, you, you mentioned that we are now applying travel restrictions. Well, certainly very rigorous travel restrictions internally. However, Gary, we're not, we are still free. If you're from Bulgaria, you can still come into the country. We need someone to pick that delicious fruit, Michael. Well, now... Are you going to go out and pick fruit? I have picked fruit, Gary. I have done that. I've sat at the back of the trailer and gone out to the strawberry farms. I come from the home of the strawberry, let you remember. And I'd just like to point out that uh, Wexford strawberries, so much nicer than those Dublin strawberries. So if people are worried about the the fact that these are being brought in, and people seem to be very agitated about it, I have to say, it does seem a bit weird, does it? On the face of it. I can't travel five kilometers to walk on the beach i have to stay two kilometers in my house but you can get people who can put the, you put them on a the plane there are no restrictions there are no as far as we can as we, we understand it anyway that there have been no tests on these people before they left they haven't been quarantined they're not going into quarantine now or isolation there are no temperature tests. They just arrived, big bunches. And I have nothing against these people coming 
to pay strawberries, but doesn't it? It it seems a, an odd thing to allow to do in the context of the shutdown of the rest of the country. I mean, it seems like an odd. Well, yes, there are restrictions, but this would be for a business purpose, so they'd allow it. Are there not? It would be classed as an agricultural business, so it's it, it's the supply of food. So not to be because I'm not one of those you know little Irelanders, but. I had the impression that we probably had a few people in the population right now who were available for the picking of strawberries. Yeah, but probably not at the price. Do you know what? Okay, it's 26% unemployment. I think you might get the price. No, you won't because you've got the COVID-19 payment to go against. I think that you may be people in this country, Gary, who are not here quite legally. And, they're, and I think I would not... Uh, I'm not saying that people would ever do this, but it's possible, Gary, that there may be people out there who would pick strawberries in such a way that they would get both the COVID payment and the strawberry money. Anyway, it just strikes me as an odd thing to do. I also, from the PR point of view, from the company involved, I can't think that it was well Well, I would would suspect what was happening is this. They knew this would cause negative PR if it was found out, and it was likely going to be found out. But a lot of businesses are struggling with cash flow. So... I mean, this is a seasonal business. So it is, absolutely. Yeah, the strawberries are going to be there. Could this business have survived if they basically went, okay, for one year we just don't, uh, or we try and do what we can with indigenous people, or, you know, this could have been set up way in advance, and then they'd have to go and hire different people. It could have been a massive reduction in what they could do. The business may simply not have been able to take it. So, yeah, you have the negative PR effect, but you might, on the other hand, we don't know what state their business is in. So well, they might have said, well, okay, we'll do it. It's bad if we're found out. But if we don't do it, the business folds. They, so, I hope that they need to have done their their sums on the differential. Right, hopefully the they did do an actual like cost-benefit on this because otherwise they, they may find this rather painful for them and shocking. Bulg- the agriculture workers would still, even coming from Bulgaria, they still would have to be paid a minimum, minimum wage, wouldn't they? I mean, yes, they would have to be. So... Technically. The one thing that I do take out of this story, which gives me a little bit of... Is that if they're bringing in people to pick strawberries, that means that strawberries are soon. And that's always good news. That a few weeks' time, the wonderful Wexford strawberries will be available. And that will make my, my, my life a little bit happier. I actually have... Uh, I have no strawberries to wait for, but I do have burgers on order. Burgers? Burgers. There is a burger place near me. Well, in Dublin. That is, um, that apparently does exceptional burgers called Bujo. Bujo? Bujo, whatever. Bujo. And they're doing a, a kit of burgers. Yeah. And you get 12 burgers, uh, brioche buns for all of them, right. cheddar, right. special sauce, gherkins, and I think some other stuff for 40 quid. Post it. So, post it to you. If you haven't had them, I can recommend. There's a, there's a guy down near Gory who has buffalo. Macamore buffaloes, and you can get these uh, buffalo burgers now, and they are really good. So if you fancy something different, a buffalo burger might be just the thing. Yeah, so I'm, I can't recommend the burger place because I haven't uh, tasted it yet, but uh, reviews are good. And frankly, I just really wanted burgers. <laughs> 
Okay, well, and on that note... It's like when I found there's a place near me where I can order chicken wings, like restaurant-quality chicken wings from me. And there's nothing that quite says, you know what, this isn't the worst time as restaurant-quality chicken wings. A bucket of chicken wings. It is quite a large amount of chicken wings. <laughs> is there a dip? There is a dip. I do have to go through a gar the checkpoint to get there, though. Oh. Yeah. But it's for chicken wings, so they understand. Actually, they've been really understanding of the idea of chicken wings. <laughs> well, it's nice to know we still live in a country where civilization, there's an element of civilization even in the garlic checkpoint. Pretty much. You mentioned chicken wings and I'm like, well, <laughs> Godspeed, I can't stop you. <laughs> right. Anyway, we shall be back on Sunday for our Sunday miscellany, a review of the week. I suspect we may even be talking about oh, COVID-19. And yes, the, the Gutman interview I've been talking about for like a week now on yes. organ harvesting. That will be going up on YouTube next Thursday, I think at 7.30pm GMT for our foreign listeners. Uh, we'll be throwing up a trailer sometimes this week. Uh, it'll be going up on Grip's YouTube. Uh, it's about two hours long. I'm not sure if we'll edit it down or if we'll just put it up in raw form and then put up kind of clips of it later. But we should have a trailer going up um, hopefully today at the latest tomorrow. Well, and, uh, yeah, I can tell. Uh, yeah, you've seen, you've seen I, it. Yeah, I can, I can tell you, uh, if folks, it's not easy. Well, it, he's, he tells the story. He's a great storyteller. It's a good interview. It's a fascinating, but it is a horrible story. But it's a really important one. And I think that you will, I'd highly recommend a watch. It's You will find out stuff that you really maybe regret knowing afterwards. But still... It's an important thing to see. And Although you might win a table quiz now that you know. You might. It might, it might be the answer of a table quiz. How much can you get for cornea in a Chinese prison? <laughs> oh, I know. I know. It's not funny. Oh, God. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> it's horrible. Also, the answer is $30,000. Mm. <laughs> well, stay safe and... We'll see, we'll hear... We'll, well, I mean, with those kind of numbers, you can understand the organ harvesting trade. Imagine being a Communist Party official, and someone complains to you, and you're just looking at him, and you can just see he's full of money. Around half a million. You know, like those scenes where in TV shows where people who are hungry will see people turning into burgers? Yeah. It's just a Chinese official, and they can see through you into your organs. And just like, hmm... I'm desperately trying to finish this podcast, Gary. <laughs> and you just won't let me. So I'm going to say definitively, it's goodbye for me, Gary, and we'll chat again on Sunday about something nice. Bye-bye. All the best.